0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey
1: everybody, it's Dan and this is our Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, part two of our awards podcast. So today we are giving away... The most likely player to break out in 2021. The assistant coach of the year, the play of the year, and the game of the year. It's Mary Kay, Doug, Scott, Ellis, and me. We're going to hand out those four awards. Now, make sure you're subscribed to Football Insider, as I always tell you, to get an exclusive newsletter every single day delivered to your inbox, get exclusive access to stories on cleveland.com slash Browns, and be a part of our tech subscription service. I actually put a call out for some suggestions for my award nominees for this podcast to our texters, and the people who are involved in it, I know they absolutely love it, so make sure you check that out, as well It's at cleveland.com slash Browns. Now, here's our Monday podcast. way we go here on a Monday, we are finishing off our Cleveland Browns awards ceremony here. It's Dan Lobby, Doug LaMaurice, Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsco, and Ellis Williams with you. And we are going to give out four more awards. If you missed the first part of this, go back to Friday, check it out. We named an MVP. We argued about the most disappointing player, handed out most improved player, all sorts of stuff. So go back to Friday's pod if you missed that one, but let's go ahead and hand out four more awards today. For those of you that did miss it, Uh, We go around, we nominate, and then we vote, and we pick one, one winner. Mary Kay is our tiebreaker if we end up with a tie, so let's get to it. Most likely player to break out in 2021, and I've got Doug right below me here on the Zoom call, so we'll let Doug go first here. All
2: right. I didn't know where to go with this, so I went with somebody who didn't play this year, which I thought might be a good reason that he breaks out next year it also feel like they feels like they might be relying on this guy in 2021. So I went with Andrew Billings at defensive tackle who maybe is going to slide right into the Larry Ogunjobi Joby spot. If you look back on PFF grades, he grades out his last 2 years in the league higher than Larry Yogin Joby has graded out since his rookie year. I think Browns fans sort of fell in love with Larry Ogunjobi Joby in a lot of ways. I think he's been like a really good Brown as like a member of the team, I don't think he's been as good of a player as people sort of think he is recently. And Andrew Billings, I, you know, they signed him. He didn't, he opted out. And I, I think he's probably an upgrade there maybe, and maybe like a somewhat substantial upgrade. And if he's a little bit out of sight, out of mind at the moment, I have him down maybe as a, I guess, a starter, maybe in 2021 and a breakout candidate.
1: Doug is throwing all the wild cards at us of all the ways that I thought you were going to go leading into that. I did not expect it to go to Andrew Billings. There were, there were actually a number of guys that you could have gone with that intro. Well, I mean, what do you guys think of Billings? I think he's a really intriguing player for a lot of the reasons that Doug mentioned. And he was a guy that when they signed him, it's kind of like, okay, I, I get it. I, I see why they wanted this guy. So I, I do think that's an intriguing way to, to start us off here.
3: You know, I I would have to to say it's a very intriguing way to start us off. I did uh, a little story. uh, We're taping this on Friday. I did a little post on why they're going to let Larry Ogunjobi walk in free agency. And Andrew Billings is one of the reasons why. And as you mentioned, he has graded out higher than Larry Ogunjobi over the last couple of years. It's so weird. Like you said, uh, fans seem to have him in their mind as, as you know a really super super solid player and pff grades don't mean everything of course but he's graded out at 104th amongst defensive tackles over each of the last two years andrew billings on the other hand his last year in cincinnati where he started the last uh he started 30 games over the last two years graded out at 50 now for comparison's sake sheldon richardson this past year in 2020, graded out at number 37. So Sheldon Richardson, number 37, Larry Ogunjobi, 104. So I do think that Andrew is going to step in here with an immediate chance to start, depending, of course, on what they do in free agency and the draft. And he has an excellent chance of making a huge impact next year. So I think that's a great pick.
4: A couple things about him stood out. When he, when he was acquired, I did like a three things to know about Andrew Billings post and he's not a great tackler. He had more missed tackles or almost as many as Richardson and Joby combined lat, not this past season, but, you know, the season prior to that. Also, he had more success as a nose tackle. So he would kind of have to shift a little bit when he came to Cleveland and he has not played as well when he's had to play along a four man front. So I'll have to see how that, how that transition goes when he comes back. But I mean, he's certainly a candidate. He's not the one I thought Doug would say, but I, I could see that Andrew Billings could be someone that, uh, that kind of breaks out.
0: Yeah, I like the the Billings suggestion. I'm unsure if he'll, he'll play enough or just be in a position to make a big enough impact to land a, a type of breakout uh, candidate among some other players that we're, we're going to get to. But I think Billings is a guy they definitely missed this year. Sheldon Richardson played 920 snaps. That's the most amongst the defensive line. And Miles Garrett was right behind him despite missing some games. But, you know, Miles is Miles, what, six years younger and plays on the edge compared to in the trenches like Sheldon Richardson. And I don't have it off the top of my head, but I am pretty confident Sheldon led the defense, at least the defensive line and snap, snap count last year, especially after the Miles uh, Garrett suspension. And Billings was a guy who both would be able to give some spell, a guy like Sheldon, keep him fresh for later. And he, they just missed his size, his ability to stop the run and just bottle stuff up. I think Jordan Elliott didn't, proved to be that guy obviously Larry Oganjogi took a, a step back or really didn't improve so they there was just a, a void there that I thought Billings eventually could have filled and he'll have that opportunity next year which is why I think this makes sense as a candidate for this
2: and I just want to interject real quick I'm very curious I think this will be a storyline next year the opt-out guys are they rusty or do they, are they rejuvenated because normally when you take a year off in the middle of your career it's because you're rehabbing from an injury But the idea of like, listen, you just didn't play for a year and they might come back and be like, I feel like a new man, right? I'm very curious how that works out. If there's some sort of edge for the opt out guys, because they let their bodies rest for a full calendar year.
1: Okay. Mary Kay, who did you have here?
3: I had somebody that we talked about last week when we kind of went down this road a little bit and, and that is Donovan Peoples Jones. I, I just think that, that he really exceeded expectations for a sixth round pick. And I really liked what I saw on the field. I liked what I saw when I went back and watched the games. I like the fact that he is where he's supposed to be. He runs good routes. He stays ready for a quarterback that, that is mobile. And he's, he's out on keepers and boots and those kinds of things. And Donovan Peoples-Jones stays ready like he did for that touchdown catch in the end of the Cincinnati game. That was an amazing play that he made there. And he catches pretty much everything. He's only had one drop. I think that's significant for a rookie. And I just really kind of like everything about him. And I think he's going to get way more playing time next year. I see a breakout season for him.
1: I knew else somebody was going to mention him. Somebody yeah. was going to. Yeah, I like that one. I think he's a good option, especially because he was a sixth-round guy. He didn't play a ton. It, it felt like he played more than he did when you kind of go back and look at the number yeah, of times yeah. he was targeted, the number sure. of catches he had, which I guess maybe means that those were a little more impactful I think one of the big moments for Donovan Peoples Jones was in Tennessee. He has that awful drop. The Browns have to settle for a field goal, and then a few drives later, he's catching, you know, a long touchdown pass from Baker Mayfield. I think I, I like that Baker went back to him. I like that Kevin Stefanski went back to him. I guess I'm a little more bullish on him than I was, you know, at the beginning. He was a flyer at the beginning, and now I think he's at the very least a guy that you know you can put in that receiving core next year, and he can do something for you.
4: He reminded me of Rashard Higgins two years ago where he made a lot of huge catches that I think really pumped up his stock. And then of course we know what happened to Higgins since then. Let's see if, if DPJ can follow that up. I mean, if they bring everybody back, is he going to get those kind of opportunities? We don't know, but he did have a knack for making big plays and big moments.
2: I don't want to turn this into a, is Odell on the team next year conversation. And I don't mean <laughs> to do that, but I am do curious, like I, I am curious of, what, what do people think the receiver rooms gonna look like next year? And I, I would maybe think if they're trying to be as good as they want to be, do you have Donovan people's Jones any higher than your fourth receiver? Like, are you, if you're trying to make the AFC championship game, does that include relying on him to that degree? Or is it, if it's Odell Jarvis Higgins, and then he's fourth, or if it's one of those top three is gone, do you bring in somebody else? And then he's fourth. Or if somebody leaves, would you say, no, no, no. We're confident with Donovan Peoples-Jones being our third receiver. He's ready for that. I'm, I'm a little curious like that about that at the moment.
3: Well, I don't think they know that yet because they don't know who's going to be back yet. I think that right now they are in – heavy internal discussions on trying to figure out what that receiver room is going to look like and obviously it's huge because this is a really good wide receiver draft class and i think that's going to factor into it uh, because once again if you think that you can kind of set yourself up and have your young receiving core together for the next 3 4 5 years when you really do hope to be challenging for super bowls when these guys are still in their prime Baker, Denzel, Miles and these guys, then you are looking at some of these amazing receivers in the draft. And therefore, you would be looking at maybe moving on from Odell. Don't know about Jarvis. So I but I do think I I think that they were probably pretty darn excited with what they saw with Donovan Peoples-Jones. And it will depend on who does come back. And we just don't know that. yet.
1: Scott, who did you have?
4: I have Grant Delpit who is probably the person you thought Doug was going to say at the beginning. (laughs) All eyes are going to be on him. Once he gets back on the field, I think for me, like whoever I chose in this category was probably going to have to come on the defensive side. And he just seemed like the best candidate. Joe Woods talked about how he's like the perfect kind of athlete that you want on your defense in, in this era of, of defensive football. So He can do a lot of things that we've seen other versatile safety hybrid type players do. Uh, He gives you the coverage that they, they were lacking this year. And I think he's someone who is going to get every chance to claim a starting spot. You know, if it's him and Harrison, or if it's, it's him having to fight off uh, someone else they bring in, I think he's going to get a lot of opportunity and, you know, we could see three safeties on, on the field because of what he can do. So I think Grant Delpit's kind of an easy choice here.
1: That's my guy too. Again, as, as Doug was opening with leading into Billings, I thought maybe he was going to go with Delpit. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I don't have a ton to add to, to the case Scott just made. I, I just think the Browns are really relying on him heavily in this defense. I, I think when you watch Kansas City, when you watch Baltimore, and you watch you know these teams that you really need that hybrid safety, I think that's really how they viewed Delpit. So he's the guy that, that I would put there. I think he's going to be just as important going into year two as he was going to be in year one. And now you have the added element of, uh, you know, a Ronnie Harrison who can play deep, who can play in the box, who can do all those different things. You know, I hope we kind of get that vision of this this modern, flexible defense on the back end with, with those two guys. Uh, Ellis, were you on? I, I couldn't tell. You had a reaction when Scott said Delpit. Did you have Delpit or did you have somebody else?
0: I have someone else. I think you guys are all on the right page, though, like what Mary Kay said with Don Peoples-Jones. If it's going to be an offensive player who becomes the breakout guy in 2021, it's going to be a pass catcher. If it's on the defensive side, it's going to be a guy who can has the opportunity to make splash plays. That'd be Delpit, or someone who's not on this roster yet, a rookie edge rusher per se. But I don't think the pass catcher is Donovan Peoples Jones. I think it's Odell Beckham Jr. And this continues the theme from our last episode, continuing this episodic thing we got going on where I called him the most disappointing player last year, but that only sets up why I think he can be the breakout guy. Now, this is assuming he's on the team and we're going to. Have Odell discussions all offseason long. I understand that. But I think the Browns need to be really careful about what happens in that wide receiver room because the Kansas City Chiefs showed that the Browns have a bunch of situational studs. They have zero game breakers on the outside. Odell's a game breaker. And if Odell isn't going to be that game breaker next year, who is? If the answer is a rookie wide receiver, then that's a heck of a lot of pressure to put on a rookie receiver to fill the shoes of one of the most famous football players, if not the most famous football player in America, and just who he is on the football field. Which brings me to the point of, first of all, they just will bring Odell Beckham Jr. back. They need straight-up talent like that. Jarvis and him are completely different receivers, despite their same build and their friendship. Where will the – Kansas City, look, don't overreact to one game, but in the playoffs you do. They had no one that could – run free from the Kansas city press coverage. And I know Odell's had his, his tough goings against the Ravens, but simple football theory tells you that to beat man coverage, you need better athletes. And if Jimmy Smith doesn't leave that Ravens game, I'm convinced that passing attack does very little for that whole second half as well. They were exposed twice this year, which sets up for Odell Beckham jr. Solving that issue within the Browns offense and being the breakout player that we probably all thought he'd be two years ago or even this past season.
2: Did Odell get to you? I feel like Odell listened <laughs> to your most disappointing and was like, Ellis. And you're like, uh, 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 I'll make you the breakout guy. Come on.
0: I might, I might have some Instagram connections, right? You know, young guy here. No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> Odell slid into to Ellis's DMs and, uh, and made his case. That's an interesting one. Anybody else want to... I know we've all kind of made our cases for other guys, but anyone else want to make a secondary case for for Odell? Or are we, are we ready to, to put this to a vote?
3: You know I'm just trying to think I mean Odell had three touchdowns last year in his seven games, I think it was seven games last year well six uh, games
4: plus one snap
3: oh yeah so so basically three touchdowns in six games so he he you know he would have ended up potentially with whatever nine touchdowns or something like that i don't I didn't do the math I, I mean I think he was poised to have a, a pretty good season last year. I think he was on his way yeah. to having a, de- a decent season. And I think he probably would have had a decent season, but I mean, I do like that. I mean, I do like where you're going with that. Ellis, like, it, he could come back and have that, but I don't know that would he have more than,
2: I mean, listen, if he's, he's Stefan Diggs, if, if Baker and Odell are become Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, then, then Ellis is right. Right. That's the thing. I mean, like the, the ceiling, if he hits the ceiling, 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 then Ellis has the right answer. I think it's just, I don't, I mean, well, he's, not gonna be, possible, he's not going
3: to be, he's not going to catch 127 passes, right. <laughs> obviously in, in this, in this offense, but he could have had eight touchdowns last year. That was very realistic. He, he was on his way to at least that. So do we think that he's going to have more than eight next year?
2: I mean, I don't think you would have him as the breakout guy, unless you had him as the disappointing guy right? I mean, again, it's down to semantics again. It's like, he's pretty good. So I don't know. Is he breaking out? I mean, he's Odell Beckham. He's pretty good, but he also hasn't been what we thought. So I think your two answers together, Ellis make a lot of sense when you pair them the way you're analyzing it. I think it makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. And I don't think the ceiling is like Mary Kay said, Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen, because of how much less the Browns throw, but all it is, is Stefan Diggs for the Vikings you know, lead the league in air yards. I wrote the, I wrote this story in early September. I, I mean, it was the perfect mold. He's just going to be Stefan Diggs in, in Minnesota and take advantage of the deep ball. And like Mary Kay saying score eight to 10 touchdowns and 1100 yards. And that's that element of the deep ball plus making the big plays like in Dallas is everything. The Browns offense was missing this year.
1: Okay. All right, let's vote. So uh, I'm going to stick with Delpit. Scott.
2: Yeah. I'm going to stick with Delpit.
1: Alice, you're going to stick with Beckham. Odell. Doug sticking with Billings.
2: I'll switch to Delpit too. I mean, it's Ooh. like I, I wanted to make my case, but I thought I had you, Doug. No, I I, I respect Odell too much to think he's past a breakout, but I like your argument. But I'll go Delpit. I get that. And
1: Mary, and Mary Kay, you're gonna stick with uh, Donovan Peoples Jones?
3: Yeah, I'll stick with Donovan. So 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 Grant, it is
1: Grant's the guy. Three makes
3: votes, makes one dug
1: over with that one. See, Actually, what we need to do is go back and record the open. Doug, you just say exactly what you said and then just change like the second
2: half of it. Yeah. Cut out six minutes of me talking about Andrew Billings.
1: (laughs) Our next award. I'm not sure how this one's going to go, to be completely honest with you. Because first of all, I don't really know if we want to argue that much about these guys. But secondly, I'm curious if everybody's going to say the same thing. I don't think we are. Assistant coach of the year. Mary Kay, why don't you start us off here?
3: You know, I feel like I know who most people are going to say. So, for for just purposes of making this a little bit more interesting,
1: can I, uh, can I just jump in and say that we're probably all not going to say the the guy that, we think <laughs> that we're going to say just for that reason? Okay. Go ahead.
3: All right. Well, then, I mean, I, I still think that there are going to be plenty of people saying a certain right. assistant So, therefore, I'm going to throw out Chad O'Shea. I, that was I think. Mine. He did, Uh, was he okay I think he did a great job I just think he did a great job uh, with the receivers Uh, there you know there were just a a lot of guys in and out he had to he had to deal with the loss of Odell Beckham Jr Uh, he had to get Donovan Peoples Jones ready to play I mean just the way he was ready to play in that Cincinnati game I thought that was phenomenal Uh, I thought I thought Donovan Peoples Jones development into a, a good receiver had a lot to do with Chad O'Shea uh, I thought he did a really nice job with Rashard Higgins. I thought Richard took his game to another level this year. I thought he ran great routes. I, I thought Jarvis did some really good things. I think he's a really, really good coach. And I almost have to wonder if they're not going to lose him, if somebody's going to come after him this offseason.
0: I was just going to say that, Mary Kay, not to completely jump off, but like, I know Kevin Stefanski said at the end of the year he expected his whole staff to be back, and that's probably just what you say at every exit interview, assuming you don't get fired. But the Browns are, had the type of season where you expect some of these yeah. assistant coaches and coordinators to start leaving. So is that is that – I don't know. Do they need another year or something like that? Or do you think there is a chance that O'Shea is just gone after this – like doesn't – isn't on, on the coaching staff next year because something happened? Or think, a promotion?
3: I think there's a chance somebody's going to get called up by somebody. Right. And Go I ahead. think he's one of the people that has, has enough Super Bowl rings from New England and right. knows enough people in the league that he could be somebody that, that and he called plays in Miami. Yeah. So he's been a coordinator. He just seems to me like somebody who could possibly get a look at coordinator. And I don't know if it's going to happen, but if I had to if I had to pick somebody out on the staff that would be attractive to somebody for a promotion, I think he would be one of those people.
1: Yeah, I, I sent this out to our tech subscribers earlier this week, because every time I put a call out for questions, the, everybody says, oh, are, are, the, are we going to lose this guy? Are the Brown's going to lose this guy. I don't want to lose this guy. You're going to lose assistants. You're going to lose coordinators. If this team is good, you're going to lose guys. That's what happens when you're successful. But guess what? There's a whole Andy Reid coaching tree, and Andy Reid is going to the Super Bowl this year. So if your organization is good and your coach knows how to hire and develop people, you're going to be able to find guys to replace the guys you lose. O'Shea is a guy that I put on there really for a lot of the reasons you pointed out, Mary Kay. And I, I also go back to Donovan Peoples Jones. In Dallas, the Browns lost Cadarro Hodge Mm -hmm. after inactives were put out, they had no choice. Like they couldn't change things up at all. They had to play shorthanded and Donovan Peoples Jones went from being a guy that people were asking, why isn't he playing to playing 43% of the offensive snaps in that game. And he didn't have a great game statistically, and he almost had a disastrous play on kickoff, but he did his job as a receiver, as a blocker, and all of those things. And I just think that was an example of a guy who was ready to at least go in and do the things the Browns needed him to do. And so that's why, you know, I think we saw that over and over again in a number of positions, but I think that that's kind of why I went with O'Shea too, because you had these different receivers that weren't Landry, that weren't Beckham, and it was a big question mark after those guys. You had those guys develop. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that.
0: Ellis, who did you have? I think a a head coach needs to hire five key spots to have a successful coaching staff and build a new culture and and win win some games like what happened in Cleveland this year. Those five spots are, of course, your coordinators, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, special teams, then your offensive line coach and defensive line coach. And I think across the board, I don't know a whole lot about Chris Kiffin, but. The defensive line was, of course, the strength of the defense this year, and they did some exotic stuff up front at times that surprised me, moving Miles Garrett around and all that. The Browns nailed all five of those spots. So I just want to say, first off, like any one of these guys are are worthy. This is a loaded staff, as we are saying with Chad O'Shea, not even one of the five I just mentioned. But for me, I think it's Alex Van Pelt for two reasons. The important thing about nailing your offensive coordinator hire is that they can – Dually take on a position of uh, importance lower on your staff. They did the same thing on the defensive side. So first with the offensive coordinator, he doubles as the QB coach. And we talked about that as soon as he was hired about how you're going to switch up Baker Mayfield's footwork. And I remember in, in training camp when we were able to be there, you know, all the, the, the real time spent with just Van Pelt and Baker and the quarterbacks off to the left, there throwing and doing their drops. And just, you could tell there was intention of detail there that Baker desperately needed. And the same thing on defense, Joe Woods being the defensive coordinator, and then can be your, your past game coordinator, DB coach, whatever, to have them have influences on really important parts of the, of the, the team. And I think Alex Van Pelt deserves this award on because of everything I just laid out because of the season the Browns had, but then he turned around and was the play caller for the Browns first playoff win in, in two decades, you know, and not only was it like, all right, this looks like a, just so all he is, is a, a fancy 2.0. Stefanti gave him all of the plays. He had his moment. That screen call to Nick Chubb completely flipped the game, and he had his moment. This is a reactionary league. I think just from that game alone, he proved that he deserves an opportunity to call plays somewhere that's probably not going to be in Cleveland, of course. So, you know, add Van Pelt to a list like O'Shea, of someone I could see moving on because of the impressive work he did with Baker Mayfield, his influence on his offense, his resume before getting here, and then that playoff game was the cherry on top. It was, it was a, one of the better play calls I, I saw all year. Anybody else have Van Pelt?
3: No, but that you make a really, really great case for Van Pelt. And not only did he do all of those things, Ellis, there's two other things that I think he did that were, were key to the season. Well, he changed up Baker's mechanics. And he, I mean, he really worked on his mechanics, changed his footwork. Ch- I, I, he probably changed some of his throwing motion. Not entirely certain about that, but he for sure ch- changed up his footwork. He completely took care of Baker Mayfield's psyche throughout the season. After the Pittsburgh game, when everybody was writing him off, Alex Van Pelt said his arrow is pointing up. And he came out and he gave him a vote of confidence. And he kept his quarterback's head in the game. And he got him completely turned around and picked him up off the mat. Rest assured, there was plenty of doubt within the organization about Baker Mayfield at that point. People didn't know what he was going to be. And he helped transform that quarterback. So you make a very compelling case for him. We'll have to see how this vote goes.
0: Talk about a tag team, air high five, Zoom high five, Mary Kay. (laughs) And I do think it's
2: possible that was the greatest jump in proficiency at a position coach spot this year to go from Ryan Lindley, who was overmatched, never should have been hired. Ryan Lindley was an offensive analyst at Utah this year. He didn't even have a real job. To go from that to Alex Van Pelt on the most important thing. It's like we need a quarterback coach who can help Baker Mayfield be Baker Mayfield. Uh, That that I think helps the Alex Van Pelt case as well. Doug, do
0: you want to do you wanna zoom high five too, Doug?
2: (laughs) No, you just stay with Mary Kay. I just added on the end.
1: (laughs) And I'll I'll never forget Alex Van Pelt setting that tone in that first press conference and saying, this is what we're gonna do with Baker Mayfield. This is what we're going to fix. Uh, with Baker. I thought that was a very tone set. There's a reason he said that publicly for everyone to see who was streaming it and listening to it and us sitting there watching it. There's a reason. Scott, are are you going to take us down the road that we've all been waiting to go down or do you have somebody else?
4: Here's why I hate this category. All right. We don't get to see coaches coach. Like we, we see things in training camp. We see them running people through drills and, but we don't see the film room. We don't see the meetings and Bill Callahan, by all accounts is a great offensive line coach mm-hmm. and his players will tell you that, but Bill Callahan, he could have mailed it in this year. We don't know. I mean, <laughs> compared to how he, he coached in recent years, we don't know that. I don't know. So I didn't go with any of those people. And then they're all, I mean, Ben Pelt and, and O'Shea. Great. I went with Callie Brownson. Just for the simple reason that aside from being part of a groundbreaking group of women this year in, in the NFL, she filled in for Chad O'Shea. She filled in a tight ends coach too, I think. I don't know. I just, I just like that from a standpoint of we know what Kelly Brownson did and the, and the tasks she took on and the roles she kind of had to slide into because of the pandemic and, and all those things. So I don't know. That, that was the one for me. You could really go with anybody here. Cause like I said, we don't really know. I mean, Baker Mayfield worked his butt off this off season. It was obvious. He put in a lot of work and I'm sure Van Pelt had something to do with that, but it's hard for me to look at a player and say, yeah, that's coaching versus that's a guy who just worked harder.
1: I'm, I'm glad you brought her up because I wanted to at least, if, if nobody brought her up, I wanted to at least have kind of a, a special mention category because of the reasons you, you said. She was asked to fill in at tight end Jack, as the tight ends coach in Jacksonville. She had to fill in as the wide receivers coach, kind of as Kevin Stefanski referred to her and some other coaches throughout, kind of a, a good utility player. And you can tell that she, when you hear people talk about her and the jobs she's doing, you can tell she's kind of soaking up as much as she can so that that she can kind of be that next in line to uh, step up to one of those, you know, we just had had someone promoted, a woman promoted to assistant uh, running backs coach, I believe it was in Washington, in Washington. So yeah, yeah, I think she's on that path. Yeah, I wanted, I'm glad you brought her up because I thought she at least deserves special mention if nobody nominated her for the award.
3: You know what, Scott, that that is just a, it's a great nomination, but on your part, now I'm sad that I didn't do it, I I wish (laughs) I I would have done that, because not only did she do all of those things that you laid out there, but she held the whole operation together. Whenever a guy like Brad Childress talks about, you know, what Kevin Stefanski did for him when, you know, when they were a head coach, these people that are sort of the right-hand man or the right-hand woman or the right-hand person of the head coach I mean they hold the whole operation together now in a normal non-COVID year that's a really big job but in a COVID year it was an enormous job which she had to do I mean there were days when they had to change many many days where they had to change everything up are we practicing are we not practicing Is our head coach gonna be here? Is our receivers coach gonna be here? Is our best defensive player gonna be around today? Do we have a receiving core to go play this football game with, right? She had to do all of that and she did it really, really well. She helped Kevin Stefanski set up this whole digital virtual operation. She was amazing at all of that. And I'm so glad Uh, that that you nominated Callie because she really, really, truly deserves it.
0: Yeah, real quick. I couldn't agree more. I'm glad we're talking about this. It's exciting because the Browns are going to be on the right side of history when it comes to this. And and just Mary Kay said everything about Callie. That's accurate. You know, clearly she works her butt off. She's excellent at her job. I might be a little naive for saying this and it is tough sometimes to say because of the, the struggle with minority head coaches in this league getting their chance. But I don't think we're all that far away from a woman calling plays in the NFL and the Browns being in this position, being on the forefront, you know, there's, there's, there's a handful of teams with women in in important positions on their coaching staff Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers come to mind, but for the Browns to be on the forefront of this, because I I do think we're, we're, we're getting closer to that moment. It's exciting and it's a great place to be. And I think Browns fans should be proud of that.
1: Jennifer King was the name I blanked on uh, earlier, who was promoted to assistant running backs coach in Washington. Of course, there's Katie Sowers in San Francisco. You mentioned Bruce Arians giving opportunities galore. Doug, are you going to give us the name we've been waiting to hear?
2: Well, I was going to say Callie Brownson and have everybody think that I was a genius for saying it, but Scott (laughs) took my thing because I was going to say it only because of this. She tweeted this this week. While y'all are working through this Robin Hood issue, I'm still trying to work through how Apple put an entire U2 album on my iTunes without consent in 2014. That was enough. I don't care that she's like breaking ground for her gender. I just loved her tweet. I'm just kidding. She's just (laughs) like us. Just like us. I saw this great tweet. So I mean, so what? So I have to say Bill Callahan. I mean, we're not going to all wind up voting for Bill Callahan. Everybody's so fancy with their non Bill Callahan pick. I don't know anything about coaches, but I'm left to say I'm the offensive line expert. Let me tell you about how Bill Callahan transformed this line with how he told guys how to lean different. I don't know, but I guess I have to say it because nobody else would say it. I will say this. I want to say this about Bill Callahan. I was a little confused about this. James Campen, when he got here on Freddie's staff, people loved the James Campen hire. He had been the offensive line coach in Green Bay for 10 years, right? Weren't people all in on James Campen? And then it was like, no, Mary Kay shaking her head. I, maybe I read that wrong. I,
3: I wasn't like overly excited about James Campin. I, I mean,
2: James Campin was like a big hire and then, but then Bill Callahan was like a step beyond that. I don't know. I just thought as much as I thought their offensive line coach was fine the year before, but it, I mean, and Scott's saying, what do we know? All we know is, I mean, all the offensive linemen love this guy. I mean, everybody right. said, what a job, what a great job Bill Callahan did. That's yeah. good enough for me. And right. you're all going to change your vote and vote for him anyway. So I'm going to have the winning pick. I picked Bill Callahan.
3: Well, I mean, guys like JC Treder, when, when I asked him late in the season, what makes Bill Callahan so good? He gave a really good answer. It was, do you remember that you guys, the, the ones that were on the JC Zoom, he really did a nice job of encapsulating why Bill Callahan is as good as he is and what he can do. And also I think you can quantify to a degree, the fact that he was able to take Jed Wills from a college right tackle and turn him into a pretty darn good pro left tackle without seeing him until like August 1st. So that was pretty good. He got him to start a football game right away. And You know, and Jed didn't go out there and make a fool of himself by any stretch of the imagination. So I think those are some of the reasons. But then I've talked to other people about Bill Callahan, and they talk about how, you know, just the the run game and the blocking schemes were so damn good, and that those had a lot to do with Bill Callahan. And he was a major reason that they were able to be so effective with the wide zone and all the things that they did with this running game and the pulling and everything that they did. So you can make a tremendous case for Bill Callahan.
2: Yeah. I forgot. I was going to say all that stuff too, that Mary Kay just said. That's what I meant also for Bill Callahan.
1: Yeah. When I, when I wrote about Callahan actually, you know, perfect timing right before the offensive line's worst game against Pittsburgh, (laughs) Uh, I wrote a big Callahan story and, it did stand out to me, you know, look guys are always going to say good things about their coaches publicly, but just like what you said with JC at the end there, when you heard guys talk about him, it did sound a little bit different. Called up a guy that played with him for the Raiders way back in, you know, the early parts of the deck and he still just had effusive praise for him. And Wyatt Teller is that's a Bill Callahan project. He was going to actually work with Bill Callahan before Bill Callahan got hired here. So that, that was just sort of some luck. For Wyatt Teller, and and he's a big reason. Some of that technique stuff that Wyatt needed to clean up was because of Bill Callahan. So now we got to vote.
3: One more thing about Bill Callahan, Doug. He made Jack Conklin into the MVP of the season. (laughs)
2: There you go. Next time I need anything argued on my behalf, I'm hiring Eric. Another great point.
1: (laughs) Ellis, are you sticking with Van Pelt?
2: Yes. No, you're not.
0: You're not. Come to Bill Callahan. I'm sticking with Van Pelt. I, I made a good case. I'm sticking with Van Pelt. Scott, Callie? Yeah, I'm sticking with Callie. Mary Kay, O'Shea?
3: Uh, this, is, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. I think I'm going over to Bill Callahan.
4: Yeah.
3: I think I'm he, going over to Bill. Just he doesn't even have
4: a Maserati. <laughs>
3: <laughs> just because I, I just don't think Baker would have been Baker without that line. I just don't think that running game would have been that running game without that line. I just think he did a phenomenal job. And it all came down to that line and his coaching of that line.
1: I'm going to stick with O'Shea just so we can have him with an official vote here. But I was thinking about going over to Callahan, but he's going to win anyway. So I'll I'll stick with O'Shea just so he can be in that others receiving vote category. Bill Callahan, our assistant coach of the year. After all of that, that's where we ended up at. Okay, we're going to take a break and then we're going to talk about the play of the year and the game of the year. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, we are handing out awards. Here we go. Let's start with the play of the year. I think this one's going to be interesting. There's, there's a lot to choose from as far as play of the year goes. And I see some smirks here on the Zoom, and I'm kind of <laughs> waiting to hear what some people have to say about what the play of the year is. But Scott is not one of the people smirking, so we're going to let him go first. <laughs> Ooh.
4: I'm just wondering who's going who's to say the, the shotgun snap over Big Ben's head. Like Who's <laughs> going to put that as the play of the year? Ooh. Someone's got that locked and loaded. I guess you could go two ways with this, right? You could say meaningful play, or you could say just great play. And there were a ton of those to choose from. I went the meaningful route on this. My play of the year is Baker's Keeper at the end of the game in week 17 against the Steelers, which kind of put an end to the game and kind of clinched things and officially got the Browns into the playoffs. It was the, was it about 110 left third and two, he kind of kept it went around the right side and kind of slid down before he went out. It wasn't anything spectacular, but I think Mm -hmm. in the history of post 1999 Browns, that's, that's right up there with, you know, biggest play just because it meant so much. And it kind of finally, put the stamp on it that yes, the Browns are going to the playoffs for the first time since uh 2002 season. So that was my play of the year.
1: So a few of our texters threw that one out. Uh, that came up as, as our play of the year when I put a call out to them to, to ask about that one Maserati as they called it. I'm still not like, going to Doug and Ellis. I want to hear what Mary Kay has to say.
3: Well, mine's boring. I have a boring play of the year. It's like so cliche and obvious, but I'm going to go with it anyways. And that is the Odell Beckham jr. 50 yard touchdown, 50 yard reverse for a touchdown in Dallas to win that game. And I keep coming back to that, that game. I think that game was important because it did contribute to them making the playoffs. I think that was huge. They lose that game and you are teetering on not making the playoffs. So again, I, I haven't gone through all of the playoff possibilities, but I think that it was a difference maker in that regard. And it, and it was a fantastic play, too. And it was it just at a time when you needed it. It just showed the talent and the ability and the value of an Odell Beckham Jr. to make a play that most people could not make. That was
1: another one that came up a lot from our texters.
2: I think the intrinsic value, they were blowing that game. And if they had actually blown the game, actually blown it, I mean, the, all the same old Brown stuff would have been an avalanche in right. outside the team for sure, maybe inside the team. Because as much as like, hey, yeah, they got blown out by the ra- the Ravens and they got blown up by the Steelers early. They didn't have a game like that where right. they gave one away. And if that had happened that early, oh, my God. I mean, Dak Prescott, whatever, he threw for 700 yards in the second half, but they managed to hold on. Man, I, I think, Mary Kay, part of the, the emphasis on why your play is so good is I think that's a fork in the road, potentially, that this whole season can go a different direction if they actually would have lost that game.
3: Right, yes.
0: Everything Mary Kay and Doug just laid out is 100% accurate. Speaking about the play itself, just what happened on the football field, it was the most electric play I've ever seen in person. We need to remember that when Odell caught that reverse or fielded the pitch, whatever it was, he was, what, 12 yards behind the line? 15, yeah. And it wasn't like... No offense to a defensive end of like Porter Gustin, but it wasn't like that was Porter Gustin sitting there playing defense. That was Alden Smith, right? You know, uh, one of the in his peak, one of the premier edge rushers in this league, and still a guy who made plenty of plays for the Cowboys. And ended up chasing him down the field. For him to get out of that and then to flip it for a score, again, I just can't emphasize enough. Most electric play I've ever seen in person, no one saw it coming. And if that blows up in their face, everything Doug and Mary Kay just laid out. who knows where the season goes.
1: The other play that came out of that game that a lot of our, our texters threw out was the Jarvis to Odell uh, touchdown pass. That was mm-hmm. a big one. And, you know, Odell always kind of aware of the moment, gave a really great answer about kind of what that meant to him after the game. And, and so that was that was mm-hmm. a play that came up from that game as well. Okay, I'm going to be honest. I'm not doing this because Scott brought it up. Actually, no, I, I'm, I'm not going to do the, the snap over the head because I actually thought of a different one that, that I liked more. I'm going in that game, And I'm going to go with the Jarvis Landry touchdown pass from Baker Mayfield that made the game 14 to nothing against the Steelers. Mm -hmm. So you had the snap over the head. The Browns turned that into points. Then you have the MJ Stewart interception, which was actually one of the plays I was considering. But that led to the touchdown from Jarvis. There's this great photo that John Koontz took uh, after that play. And Jarvis and Donovan Peoples-Jones and somebody else, I couldn't tell who it was, are just – screaming at the Steelers' defensive backs walking off the field. I mean, they are – you can just tell how intense it was. And I think that was kind of the moment for the Browns when they were like, we're winning this game. It's, it's over. The Steelers are not going to beat us now. It, it got tight at the end, but the Browns just blew that game wide open. And, and I think that was kind of the moment for them where the floodgates sort of opened to build that first-half lead and why they were able to win that game. So I'm going to go with that one that Jarvis Landry touchdown as, as the play of the year. Maybe I'm being too much of a hipster picking that play, but but that's the one I'm going after.
0: I I really like that play. It was monumental in the season, obviously built the momentum and started to open the floodgates really, other than the the snap over the head of course, that was the Jarvis that they needed versus Kansas city. I mean, that was man coverage. He he beat, I think it probably was Hilton, the the Steelers slot corner. I'm not hundred percent sure on that though, but he just beat man coverage and took it to the house. Like, when I saw Jarvis do that, I was like, holy smokes. I have not seen him do that for a while. And he t- hit the Jets, too. He it hit that next level. And then it just it wasn't there versus Kansas City. So, I mean, he is capable. But it might have been more of just an outlier play. But for that moment, yeah, it, I mean, it was explosive as it gets. That was an OBJ touchdown. That
4: was like what you expect Beckham to do yeah. on that route, not, not Jarvis.
1: Okay, here we go. We've been waiting for this
2: <laughs> even before we hit record. Who wants to go first, Ellis or Doug? I kind of want to go last because I want to okay. see if Ellis has the same one. I, yeah. I love my pick so much. <laughs> Two of the answers here make my even feel better about my pick. But
0: Ellis, yeah. you go. Yep, this is the only one I actually wrote like something down for. So for me, it is the Donovan Peoples-Jones touchdown versus the Cincinnati Bengals. And let me set the scene for you guys so we can run this back. 34-31 score. It's second and 10, right? Let's say that's an incomplete pass, all right? it was a remarkable play. Like just the play itself. I'm not even going to spend that much time breaking the play down because it, it, I still don't really know how he, I don't, I don't think DPJ really thought he was going to grab that. Like you just kind of it's just one of those plays where you, you think it's right there and it ends up being right there is a great throw. The DB kind of misread it and all that. But let's say that just falls incomplete. Now it's third and 10. You don't have much clock to work with. Maybe you kick it there. Maybe you don't regardless if they end up kicking that field goal, it's a, about a 40 yard try. I don't think any Browns fan is all that comfortable with their kicking situation right now. I can't remember the weather, but for the sake of the argument and it's in Cincinnati, let's say, you know, it's a little dreary windy day in Cincinnati, but again, I can't remember it exactly. My point is this, if they miss that kick and the Browns lose that game, they drop to four and three instead of five and two. The next game was that the loss versus the Raiders. So if they lose the Bengals game, because they don't make that DBJ play, they go to four and four in the bye week. Remember, they lost Odell Beckham Jr. that same game, the Bengals game. So now you are on a two-game losing streak without Odell Beckham Jr. and a lot of cries going into the bye week about where's this team at? And man, is Baker Mayfield not the guy to get the job done. It would have I think it changes the entire season making that play. I know you can make the argument of like, oh okay, well, they still kicked the field goal and they probably win in overtime. None of that's a guarantee. And the fact that, like we talked about the Odell Beckham Jr fork in the road, reverse play. For what I just laid out, the, the concept of this team being a 500 team with back-to-back losses and no Odell Beckham Jr. going to the bye week, I think it would have been a mess in Berea. Instead, they make that play. Five and two sounds a whole lot better than four and three. It's one of those moments in the year where it's like, wow, we're five and two, or, uh, or four and three, or are we a 500 team? Five and two, you solidify yourself as one of the better teams in the AFC, which they did. And it's all because a rookie who wasn't even planning on playing that game stepped up and made as of right now the play of his career
1: that was a really popular one in the text that, w- that was one that came up a lot and yeah i'm not i'm not surprised that that came up here on the pod that was that just the play itself the throw the catch i mean db inches away from maybe breaking it up it was just you know and, and you, you kind of set the moment there well too ellis i, I think that's a you can't argue with that one yeah Except that i think doug might here i was gonna try <laughs>
4: I, love I would put that above the OBJ one. We I almost little... brought that up after Mary Kay was done. Cause that I think was a bigger deal because they were losing and they were still winning that Cowboys game even you know, before that touchdown. So I think that one
1: against the Bengals meant a lot more. We're going to have five different answers for this.
2: Here we go. Mine centers on the true underrated savior and hero of the Brown season, Robert Jackson. And my pick Is stopping the Steelers' two point conversion after they had blown a 15 point lead with the playoffs on the line. And Pittsburgh runs a little slant to Chase Claypool, and Robert Jackson covers it. Now, I watched it six times. Somebody else kind of dropped back in coverage and got in the passing lane a little bit. If they lose that game, they do not make the playoffs. They would have finished 10 and six. The Dolphins would have had the tiebreaker. They were up 15, they gave up two touchdowns in the final 10 minutes. Pittsburgh marches down the field with Mason stinking Rudolph to score with <laughs> 123 left. And the two point conversion failure is what keeps it from being a tie game. Now, you could say, okay, well, the Browns would have gotten it back with 123 left. They would have had their hearts ripped out by that point. Yes, maybe it sets up Baker to lead the season saving drive and they get a game winning field goal. But if it doesn't, and that season ends with the Browns blowing a 15-point lead to the Steelers' backups in Week 17 to miss the playoffs the week after they lost to the Jets, everything about this season would have changed. Now, you guys brought up a bunch of fork-in-the-road moments that happened earlier in the year. This was in the last 90 seconds of the regular season, and that's how close they were. They, We talked about how they didn't really blow a game. They did blow that game. They blew it. And then the Steelers couldn't convert the two point conversion. And the guy who winds up in coverage on like the best rookie receiver in the league is Robert stinking Jackson and Claypool makes a little move off the line and Jackson stays on him. And you cannot even want to fat. You don't want to fathom the world. We would be living in right now. If we were talking about, they convert that they go to oh Baker doesn't lead the game winning drive. They go to overtime and they lose. Oh my God. Everything else led up to that, but that is a do-or-die moment,
0: Robert Jackson. I, I don't envy Mary Kay right now. Well, no, we, we, have
3: to have to do we don't <laughs> have to vote. we I, That's do what I'm
0: saying.
1: That's true. That's true. Maybe somebody <laughs> will swing this if they, if they decide to choose the Robert Jackson play.
3: True. You make no. a very compelling case, Doug. That's a very, 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 very compelling case.
0: Did you guys think they were going to get that, by the way? Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I thought they'd have more than just a slanted, but yeah, I, I, it adds to Doug's point. Like it just all the momentum going the wrong way there. And, they, and you're right. They made a play.
1: Just a, a couple other ones that came up. Uh, I'm obviously not going to read them all. The Nick Chubb, uh, no moss run, no moss run was an interesting one. Uh, that came up from our texters. Like I said, uh, there, there were a lot that we, uh, that we mentioned already, but that that was a good, I'm glad somebody brought that up. That's one of those ones that you kind of forget about. Uh, but it was sort of a big moment, too, and it was one of the stories coming out of that game. Here we go. I'm going to stick with mine. I'm not going to
2: make this easy. I'm going to stick with mine. Can I say oh. something real quick? I, yeah. Everybody has great ideas. I mean, we have three answers from the Week 17 game, right? Dan and Scott, you're both answers. Were Mine is from the playoff game. Oh, yours is from the playoff oh, yeah, game. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Okay. So, Scott, mine's better than yours. No offense. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Because yours, yours, like, put the game away after mine set up the opportunity to put the game away. No offense, but mine's better.
4: My play led to what is going to go down as one of the biggest play calls in Brown's history by Jim Donovan. <laughs> About how the only thing missing is uh, you all. He said that after the Baker run.
0: I, 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 I did have a Twitter moment.
1: Yeah. All right, we're you know, voting. I'm, I'm sticking by. I'm holding, I'm holding strong. On my Jarvis Landry touchdown catch, Scott. It sounds like you're going to hold strong on Maserati there.
4: I'm going to I'm going to switch. I'm going to go with the two point conversion because I, I think it's I think that's a good call. I didn't go back and look at that play. I did just look up and make sure that Robert Jackson was credited with a pass breakup, and he was. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go with the two point conversion because I, I believe that I, I can live with that as as the play of the year.
1: Okay, so we've got we've got two for that one now. Ellis, you can put it over the top, or you can choose another one, or stick with what you had, which was the um, the Donovan Peoples Jones catch.
0: Nope, I woke up this morning convinced I was winning this category, so I'm (laughs) sticking.
1: And Mary Kay, you had the Odell Beckham run in Dallas, so you You made a really good argument for that one.
3: You made a really good argument for that, and and both of the ones that we were talking about, you know, I don't think they make the playoffs necessarily if they don't win those games either, but. I'm sold on the Robert Jackson. I'm sold. Yeah. Sold, sold, sold on stopping the two-point conversion.
2: Let's get him on listener? the pod, Robert Jackson, this is your invite. Somebody, somebody send this to Chase Claypool. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: oh, now we're talking, Scott.
4: He might have some <laughs> things to say about this.
0: <laughs> Mary Kay's going to be writing all night if we do that.
1: <laughs> okay, so our winner is stopping the two-point conversion. Robert Jackson getting an award here. On the Orange and Brown Talk Awards show. I'd love to hear his accepted speech. Robert Jackson, if you're a listener, leave us a five star review. <laughs> good review and, and tell us how great we are. Subscribe to Football Insider Robert. It's the blue banner at the top of the page. Uh, do us all a favor. Okay. This is going to be an interesting one, too. I think there's a lot of ways to go here, and there were a lot of answers in, uh, from our uh, subscribers. Game of the year. I haven't gone first yet, so I guess I'll go first on this one. I'm actually going with one. I hope this isn't, like, hot takey. The most entertaining game to me was that Monday night game against the Ravens, and I know the Browns lost it, but that was a fun game, and Mm -hmm. it was a shootout, and there were a lot of great moments on both sides. There was Lamar Jackson going to the locker room, and then Trace McSorley converts a third down. He should have never converted, and Lamar throws that touchdown pass Baker was incredible in that game, just kept leading the Browns back and leading the Browns back. That scramble, I mean, I wish there could have been 70,000 fans there when Baker scrambled into the end zone on that touchdown run. So just for me, even though it's not necessarily – it doesn't embody the season or it's not really like a big-picture pick, just to me, the, the most fun game that I had watching was that Monday night game against the Ravens. So that's going to be, and then that one came up from our textures too, from a few folks. Um, so that's going to be my nominee.
2: Yeah. I'll go next quick, just cause I poured my heart and soul. Into hold the- hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Are you agreeing with him?
0: Yeah. Then
2: go. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because I, like I was going to say, I poured my heart and soul into the Donovan people Jones touchdown. I haven't had lunch yet today. I'm running out of gas, so I'll be short. <laughs> I completely agree with Dan. And I want to just throw this to you guys. So you guys would have a much better understanding of this than I the Monday night football aspect of this game brought it to a whole nother level. And despite the Browns losing, that has to be an all-time, at least in the decade, we'll just, we can keep it there, but an all-time Browns game, despite them losing, right? It just, it was remarkable with everything Lamar Jackson did.
1: It, it was a game of the year type of game, like that Rams-Chiefs game a few years ago. Yeah, was a game, yeah. And, and ever, all the stakes too, the stakes that were on the line, the Ravens had to win out And the Browns were kind of charging up the standings and and putting themselves back in the AFC North picture a little. Uh, Again, it didn't end the way Browns fans wanted it to end, but there was just so much about that football game. Yeah, and off the top of my head,
0: that's got to be the only game of the year where the Browns lose and you still come out feeling good about the team.
2: So let me jump in here. This is also mine, and that's why. I am a big fan of the good loss. And this is the only good loss of the year because they got blown out by the Steelers and the Ravens. They had the weird Raiders game. They were like the Raiders ran the ball and they couldn't, it was the bad weather. And then they had the jets fiasco. This was the only good loss. And guess what good teams have good losses. I, I was going to do a, po- a story. I, I didn't cause I never get around to stuff, but <laughs> I, I didn't know. When was the, when was the last Browns good loss? That a loss that as a, as a fan, you walked away feeling good about your team that like we're on the right track. We did great things. This loss confirmed to me that we're good. I don't even know. I mean, that's, I, I can't imagine how far back you go. Cause the whole history, the recent history of the Browns is being bad and losing. So I am all in on this game and Dan, don't sell yourself short. I think the big picture matters here. I think in the moment, it's a fun, exciting game to watch. But I think in the big picture, it was the only time the Browns lost last year where you walked away saying, man, they lost, but I don't want to play those guys. Those guys are for real. There are going to be more of those to come. In the next five years, there's going to be a bunch of good losses because that's what good teams do. So I am all in on this pick also.
3: Scott, are you going to rip them or am I? You want to start?
2: Typical (laughs) typical Cleveland media.
3: Picking the
0: game
2: the Browns (laughs) lost
0: is the game of the year. (laughs) Gosh. That's too good. Scott, you're two for two on jokes today. You just you get the joke of the year. Like you're killing it, man.
4: I am not agreeing with that. You guys are crazy. Um <laughs> th- the game of the year's gotta be the wild card win. It just does from a historical standpoint. And it was a good game from a bizarro standpoint, from a like, is this really happening standpoint after that first quarter? That was the game of the year. Just nobody was expecting anything to happen like that. People were picking the Browns to win. But not like that. That was just, it was crazy. It was entertaining. And I think, obviously, as a Browns fan, you come away feeling pretty good about your team (laughs) after that game. So I I think that's the obvious choice here, that wild card win. I think 90% of the country outside of Cleveland, outside of Browns fans, will agree with you guys that that Ravens game was great, you know, from an entertainment standpoint. But I think the majority of Browns fans
2: are going to pick that wild card game.
3: Scott, I agree with you. Do you know how every single coach in the NFL since before electricity was invented always says there are no moral victories, right? Mm -hmm. There are no good losses. (laughs) There are no good losses. You know why? Because when you get to the end of the season, that L in the loss column can still keep you out of the playoffs. Even if it was really exciting and even if, if people all over the country were spent after that game, and even if John Harbaugh said after that game that this will go down in as one of the most classic historical games in the history of the NFL, they lost the game. They lost the game, and therefore it could have cost them a chance to not make the playoffs for 18 years. It could have cost them that. Mm-hmm. They lost – they lost the game. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but
2: it didn't, but it didn't cost them that. So we don't have to live in a hypothetical world. They could play an awesome game that they lost and they still made the playoffs.
3: I know, but they lost the game. And to me, that can't be the game of the year. There are too many other good things that happened and the wild card game in my mind, the wild card game, again, like Scott said, not only was this a resounding victory in Pittsburgh where they hadn't won since the dawn of man, yeah. Big Ben, who were 23, two and one against the Cleveland Browns. It was surreal. They picked him off four times. It was it not worked. resounding.
2: They almost gave it away. They won because Mike Tomlin babied up and punted on fourth and one. And the Steelers, the Steelers handed them a 14-point lead. But the, they Steelers, the, Steelers, the
4: Steelers. It doesn't mean, we're not talking about did the Browns come out and execute the game plan to perfection and win the game. It's, what was what the best talking? game of the year? like, what well, was the best game of the about. year? It doesn't matter how it happened. It was. What do, you it mean was it doesn't,
2: what do you mean it doesn't matter how it happened? Of course it matters how it happened. It's the game of the year.
4: Right. It doesn't matter if, if, the, if the Steelers turned the ball over a bunch of times. And, and it, it doesn't matter. It was entertaining from a
2: Browns perspective. It was the game of the year.
4: And then played, you add all the
2: history into it. It was the game played, of the year. They played better in the Baltimore loss the Steelers outgained the Browns in that game and the Baltimore loss, the Browns outgained the Ravens, the Browns played better in the Baltimore loss, the Steelers practically handed them that game. And then the Browns for half the game tried to hand it back. So like, if your only answer is it's sort of the same thing with Baker as the MVP, it's like, okay, he's the quarterback. He's the MVP. I get it. It's their first playoff win in however long. And it was against the hated Steelers. I think I learned, I was more impressed and I learned more about the Browns in the Baltimore loss than I did the Pittsburgh win in the playoffs, because if the, if the Steelers don't start off by snapping the ball over this, over the quarterback's head and by Ben throwing up a duck on the next drive to hand him another interception. I mean, the Browns did not do anything. The Browns didn't do anything to make that happen. The Steelers gave it to him against the Ravens. The Browns had to make it happen again and again. So we get it. Of course, the three of us who are voting for the loss, we get it, but I mean, it's not like there's no case for that. They played awesome. They didn't play awesome against the Steelers. The Steelers just played like crap. And the Browns were smart enough to take advantage of it. But also, let's go back to the fourth and one punt, and it was on a a razor's edge there. So, I mean, I get it. Of course, you guys are probably going to win. It's a playoff win.
3: Well, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. You always talk about that snap over the head, like afterwards the ball just automatically gets awarded to the cleveland browns
2: ben couldn't bend over <laughs> if he could touch his toes the steelers would have recovered it
3: somebody had to recover it and the browns the browns got back there and they were they were heads up and then they recovered it the steelers could have gotten back somebody could have gotten else could have gotten back there from the steelers marquis pounce could have gotten back there he's the one that freaking snapped with the air snap. <laughs> i mean like go back there and get it i mean somebody from the steelers could have made a heads up play the second they see it Sailing over Ben Roethlisberger's head, they could have hustled. Right, and
2: you've and said for the last twenty seconds about how the Steelers screwed it up. Exactly, like the Steelers right. could have done something, and they didn't. That right. that game to me was more about the decrepit, falling apart, out of gas, blowing their eleven and zero start Steelers. And it was great,
3: but they came back. <laughs> ben through you. You're the one that said. The Browns almost blew that game because the Steelers came back and the Browns had to hang on. It's been through for 501 yards. They almost could have won the game if Mike Tomlin didn't make a boneheaded call on fourth and one.
2: Listen, I'm not here to like give away playoff wins. That's not the intention here, <laughs> but I'm just saying they played better in the Baltimore win. I mean, in the Baltimore loss, and I learned more about them. I thought they showed more as an elite team by playing like that against Baltimore than they did by the Steelers kind of giving them a 28, nothing lead.
3: Well, I guess it's um, once again, we come back to a matter of semantics, right? Are we talking about when we, when we're trying to decide on the game of the year, are we talking about what was at stake? What was the result? What happened? You know what I mean? So like, you can look at it in so many different ways. I understand what you guys are saying. That was an exciting game. That was a classic historic football game, but it was also, a loss in a season where they need needed every single victory. So I just have a hard time picking it as the game of the year because of what it could have meant in the standings.
1: I think there's some perspective here too. Scott, I think you kind of touched on this for Browns fans. That Steelers game was awesome. That, that Steelers playoff game was like the best thing they've ever watched. I think on a national level, it was like, Oh my God, this is the sixth game we're watching this weekend. And it's whatever the score was. I think the most memorable game beyond outside of Cleveland if you asked, would probably be that Monday night game just because it was so entertaining and so back and forth. So I guess there's that element of it too. So it might just depend who you ask. I'm sticking by mine. Ellis, you were going to say something.
0: Yeah, real quick. Let me argue with myself here against myself and perhaps break a little tie here. I wonder if a question that would help settle this would be which one will age better? Like if the, if the Browns eliminating the Steelers and that iconic image of Big Ben and Marquise Pouncey, you know, literally shedding tears on the bench after the game being the last one's on the field was the fork and the Steelers. And they now become this team with an aging quarterback and not really an in a, in a expensive defense that they can't afford to keep. And they're just, you know, middle to bottom feeders. Even in the AFC North, it sounds weird to say that out loud, but you get where I'm going with this. If, if the Browns get credit for starting that, perhaps this ages better because... What happened in that Ravens game, two things really, really, really went the Browns' way. Jimmy Smith didn't play in the second half. It allowed the, the Browns to pick on one corner of the entire football game. Uh, we've seen in playoff football how that works. The Green Bay Packer game and Tampa, the King, this is playoff football. You're just going to throw out the weak link. We don't care if it's sexy, if it isn't. The, the Browns took advantage of that. And then Lamar Jackson didn't play in the fourth quarter until they needed him, and he scored the first time he touched the frickin' football. Like he's like, it's a video game. Like he's a basketball player. So in terms of that loss aging poorly, if the Browns don't find a way to defend Lamar Jackson, then I don't think that Monday night loss means as much because Jackson wasn't even available. They didn't have their full defense of secondary and Lamar could just keep running all over the Browns where that playoff win could be the fork in the Steelers, you know, for the next three, four or five years. So perhaps def- Figure out which one ages better and we don't have that answer yet could solve this. If we do uh, this same podcast next year, I'll see you guys then.
3: Here's going to be the headline on our podcast. Are you ready for this? Cleveland Browns media panel <laughs> loss to the Baltimore Ravens who stole their football team, who stole their football team in 1995 as the game of the year. People don't forget. The
1: I got a lot of sound bites to pull out of this one. <laughs> Look, Ten years from now, when we're
4: telling people about this season. We're going to get to that Pittsburgh game really quick because obviously the, it's the fact that they won a playoff game without their head coach, by the way. We, we haven't mentioned that yet. Oh, yeah. But after you talk about COVID and all the issues of the season, you're going to mention that game before you get to that
3: Baltimore game.
2: Okay, we got a vote. Doug, you wanted to add something? And the first thing you're going to say about that game is the Steelers snapped the ball of the quarterback's head in the first game.
3: <laughs> And the, the Browns recovered it.
2: And it was an, an awesome, awesome game. game if you if but again to go back to my point if you took a poll
1: like if you just went to every football fan in america and asked them for the most memorable games of the season that browns ravens game would be near the top i think it's gonna got point. that going for us we gotta vote i'm sticking with mine so i think scott and mary Kay are gonna stick with theirs so the question is doug or ellis are you gonna swing this thing
2: yeah hey, i'm gonna stay with mine we'll put it on ellis it's on ellis Ellis is the tiebreaker or also I was going to think, what about the Tennessee win? No, (laughs) let's make the podcast go to 41 minutes. But again, can I just say again, multiple, multiple choices. I mean, we all zeroed in on two things here. I mean, we didn't talk, we didn't nominate the Dallas game. We didn't nominate the Tennessee game where they came out against a team in the AFC championship game the year before and blew them off the field in the first half. Right. I mean, like they, this team played, we didn't talk about, you know, I mean, they beat Deshaun Watson. And it was a weird win game, but I mean like this, this team played some really interesting, important games this year. And that is worth noting that again, here we are on an awards podcast talking about good things about this team. And in all the categories, there are multiple nominees, but I'll vote for the loss. Ellis, it's on you.
3: Wait a minute. I got to say one more thing. Remember First. this. Picture Kevin Stefanski in his basement by himself, Mm-hmm. pacing in front of the tv
1: no he turned it off at halftime
3: <laughs> he turned it off after the first quarter when they were up 28 <laughs> to nothing see was,
4: when oh. people listening to this can't see is mary kay really leaning in and using her hands <laughs> to emphasize her words to get through to ellis to I make mean, him no. understand how wrong he is about his original pick
3: no taste no smell phone <laughs> turned off
4: <laughs> there's something in his in his office he still doesn't know what it is
3: yeah who knows it could
4: what
3: be anything. We have to know what that is. We got to get Case Keenum on this podcast. All right, Alice, it's up to you.
0: I'll say this. That playoff game, when I'm thinking back on it, just sitting in the press box, everyone looking around, it was a, a strange experience. My cell phone was blowing up during the game, and I'm not even from around these parts. I can't imagine what it was like for everyone else involved in that game. And I just did, did just spend the past five minutes arguing against myself and talking myself out of... The Ravens game because I am stuck on that idea carrying into next season that the Browns put a fork in the Steelers and the Ravens will continue to be a nemesis that Cleveland is going to struggle to figure out and I, I, I enjoy that storyline carrying into next season everything came together their coaches in the basement and Mike Prefer is the all-time winningest coach based on winning percentage in Cleveland Brown playoff history <laughs> it's that game it's got to be wow
1: Ellis Woo! swings it away Winner I'm is sorry, Doug. nothing personal. I promise.
0: Oh. <laughs> the Mary Kay
2: threat of the headline that would ruin all of our careers, I think, is what swayed Ellis in the end.
1: All right. So there's our winner. The Steelers, uh, the Browns beating the Steelers in the wild card. A couple other games that did come up. The Dallas game came up from one of our Texters. The first Steelers win in week 17 came up from our Texters. And, and there were some others as well. But it was, it honestly was mostly kind of scrolling through it. It was that wild card win. And it was that Ravens Monday night win or Monday night loss, I should say. See, I even called it a win. That's how much of a moral victory it is. I don't even remember if they won or lost. Two shows worth of awards. If you missed part one, go back to Friday and check that one out. And of course, make sure you're subscribe to the Orange and Brown Talk feed because we'll keep going all off season long, five days a week. Uh, all the podcasts that you expect are going to be coming your way. We got some fun stuff planned, I think, for you coming up in the near future so make sure you get yourself subscribed wherever you listen to your podcasts and check out football insider at cleveland.com slash browns so for the whole crew doug mary kay ellison scott i'm dan thanks for listening everybody
4: typical (laughs) cleveland media picking the Uh... game the browns lost is the
3: game of the year